and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which tells you everything you need to know about interiors and how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And we're delighted that Topps Tiles is sponsoring The Great Indoors podcast. They have over five decades of experience. So why not visit one of their 360 stores across the UK for more information on your next tiling project? Coming up today, we're talking maximalism versus minimalism. We've got an update on Kate's brilliant Do Less Harm directory and, of course, a few juicy design crimes. But first, we wanted to dig into some of the brilliant new interior books that we're seeing on the bookshelves right now. There's some really good ones, isn't it? I think, you know, book publishing's having a little bit of a renaissance, isn't it? Well, I, I we've had this conversation, obviously I've had this with my publisher a lot, and there was a real period where interior design books weren't wanted. Mm. And I think, you know, cookery books have always been very popular. Interior design books were less so, in part, I think, because of magazines. Right. Were sort of taking the place of that. And then blogs have started taking the place of magazines. Mm-hmm. So I think there's sort of room for maybe there's movement at the top and books are coming back somewhere where you can see all that information. In one place. In one I mean, place I think that's, and that's, touch it and flick yeah. through it to refer rather than sort of, you know, wading through Google. So it's quite interesting. So which one are we going to talk about first? Well, should we do the one perhaps closest to your own heart <laughs> by Karen Haller? It's called The Little Book of Colour, How to Use the Psychology of Colour to Transform Your Life. And Karen is an applied colour and design psychology specialist. This is her life work, isn't it, Colour? I mean, I've obviously known of Karen for a long time. She's a specialist in colour psychology, which is a framework that I use a lot in my own sort of work and methods and workshops that I teach. So I kind of know this topic quite well, but it's really great to see it covered quite extensively and thoroughly in this really quite small pocket-sized penguin book. It's it's a sort of encyclopedia, but it's a really friendly one, not least because of the colour. But I thought it was brilliant. It's really dense in information, and, yeah. and yet it's all there. So, I mean, I obviously like the beginning where she has the history of colour and an overview, and she talks about actually how we see colour, you know, how our eyes work and oh, how reflective... Oh, I knew reflective. you liked all that bit, yeah. So it's kind of, of like, it's quite a, quite a boffin book. It's not... You know me, I like the pretty pictures. This is light on pretty pictures, very heavy on text and copy. But as I say, for anyone who's truly interested in the theory of colour, the history of colour, how colour works, how to apply colour, then it's a must read, isn't it? She does talk about how to apply later, but still at the beginning, she's talking about Hippocrates. Hippocrates? Hippocrates. How do we saw, say I that? Hippocratic oath. Him anyway. Hippocrates. Yeah, but that's it. Yeah, him. Him. And talking about how he saw colour and it was based on the four humours and then the humours got related to different colours. I obviously thought all that was completely fascinating. And she goes up to Bauhaus and, you know, the evolution of colour there up to 1933. And then she sort of ends by talking about Angela Wright, who's the lady whose work I've 
studied who was sort of really researching this. She's a psychologist researching in the 1970s. And it's interesting because we've always spoken about, particularly you have, about when you're decorating a room, you need to think not just about what colours you like, but about how you want to feel in Mm. that room. And she changes it around slightly and says, choose colours to support the behaviour that you want to see in oh, that yeah, room. that's her big which, thrust, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, I thought that was quite an interesting way of looking at it. So, you know, and I suppose if you're thinking about moulding someone's behaviour, I tend to think about children. So if you think about their bedroom and, you know, if do you want them to be calm in there? So choose colours that will make them behave in that way. Whereas I think I've perhaps in the past approached it from the other end, which is, I want to feel relaxed in here, so I'm going to choose the colours that make me feel relaxed. Whereas she's perhaps including the whole family, which I might not necessarily have done, <laughs> and saying if this is the, the what you want everybody to be like in this room, then decorate it that way. And she does do, I mean, she calls it a quiz. It's a sort of questionnaire to work out what your sort of primary colour personality is and what your second one is. And I've done that course with you. So I... Put the two together. I put the two together. Out. Well, and it was exactly the same, actually. I am an autumn person. So I like rich colours, strong colours. I like stuff. Like, I like, and we sat here in your library, no? Full of Very books. autumn personality. Yeah, I love all that. And then I have my secondary personality as winter. So I like a bit of drama, you know, black and white, something that's quite kind of strong. High contrast um, and edgy. Interestingly, I had no summer in me at all which surprised me because I thought I would and summer is well you'll know this more than me it's much calmer isn't it things arranged symmetrically it's those soft kind of colors of Provence isn't it which I thought I liked but it didn't come out in that quiz it is a really really clever system and I think for anybody I mean essentially color psychology Angela Wright system which is very much explored in this book is to discover your personality type. And what Angela worked out is we all fall into quite generic personality types. I mean, there's more than four, obviously. We're all very individual. Well, and you have this primary and secondary, which Karen talks about. Yeah, exactly, that makes us a bit more individual. But essentially, it's about finding a colour palette, a tonal colour palette that works for you, that you're drawn to Mm. and that supports you. And that's colour for sure, but also in, in the workshops I run, that also runs into the styling, the pattern, the fabrics everything else it's like a whole kind of what's the word like framework yeah. basically that you can and work I think to. it's an I think it's a fascinating book actually and I haven't had time to read it all in detail but I definitely will well it's a very um you know I've studied this this subject quite a lot and it can be a bit mind-boggling and quite hard to get your head around and I really commend Karen for breaking it down making it yeah. bite sizable the chapters are chunk worthy and she understands something that's quite intricate and a really easy to yeah. follow and yet it's not a light book as you've already touched on this is going no it's information yeah but it's great so the little book of color 10.99 by penguin on to the next one what do you want to talk about next let's go i was very excited about this book by medina grillo home sweet rented home transform your home without losing your deposit brilliant and this is by Octopus. Octopus books. I think this is a great book. Yeah, you love this book, don't you? I love books about renting because, you know, as we've spoken about so many times, more and more people are renting. 
particularly in this country, landlords can be tricksy and you don't necessarily have the freedom to do what you want. And Medina, you know, she does a lot of DIY. She talks about the DIY she's done. And this is a really good idea for someone, you know, who might have the restrictions of not being able to do things. But equally, there's loads of DIY that you could do even if you do own your own house. Well, that's that's what I felt reading it. What I loved about this book is Medina is a well-known blogger and she's also on Instagram as Grillo Design. So I knew of her anyway. She's somebody who's learned through her own DIY and practice. She's not a trained interior designer. She's really upfront about that. But I think sometimes that positions you as the best person to give advice really yeah. when, quite frankly, she has... She's walked the walk and she's been in rented uh, properties all her life and just has such brilliant insight, valuable information. I love the way she writes. It's very personal, very personable. And yet everything she talks about is really well researched, really thorough. You know, there's illustrations in here, there's how-tos, there's bullet points. Yes, I mean, it's, it's just, really broken up well, isn't it? It's totally packed with ideas and What I liked as well is this, because we've all seen rental things, you know, like, oh, buy a rug. But she's gone straight in there and said, you hate your walls, you hate your tiles, you hate your floors all the big stuff that you think Mm. you can't do anything with. And she talks about, you know, it might be painted magnolia. We'll see if you can paint it white. That's not going to offend even the strictest of landlords. You know, and white suddenly looks much more fresh and modern. And she talks about covering tiles with tile stickers. And actually a genius idea I got from her. She's very big on uh, removable wallpaper. Yeah. But she also says that if you have got wallpaper that is non-pre-pasted, you can apply it to the wall with liquid starch Mm. and you can then just sponge it off. And she also talks about buying chalkboard paper, like sticky back paper with a chalkboard finish. And I think she might have done that in her kitchen. So you can write on the walls in chalk. I mean, there is no shortage of really creative, resourceful, affordable easy to do. I, and I mean, I just think even on, if you're not renting, yeah, like, absolutely. That's if what you're I was on a budget say. or you just like to refresh your home. She's got how to make a rug. She's got, you know, how to make more storage crates for under the bed. All that kind of stuff is really good. And I also like, she mentioned somewhere um, that she's talking about things from DIY level, from every level, from beginner upwards. And then that special before beginner level. Which <laughs> Before beginner. (laughs) Which I think might be me. Um, So she, yes, she talks about decluttering and multifunctional furniture and, you know, slim furniture. Um, Do you know, one of the things that stood out for me that I, because I mean, I've been in this genre all my life. You know, I was a magazine editor and we were all, you know, back in the changing room days, we were all about all of that kind of stuff. So I I feel like, you know, while I've seen all of this and it's great to see it all in one place, there was one little... uh, DIY project idea I'd never ever come across. Oh, really? Wallpapering the floor. Oh, yes. Who Brilliant. knew yes. you could stick wallpaper to your floor? And so varnish it. I thought this that's is, so clever. Yeah, if you've got a laminate, if you're renting and you've got a laminate floor or a vinyl floor that you hate, her suggestion is using this peelable wallpaper or you can even use... The liquid starch, I guess, yeah. Wallpaper and varnish it to protect it. I thought that was really clever. And just as an example on windows, because I think you see a lot of hideous curtains, don't you, and window dressings. So she talks about buy some iron-on hemming tape, 
if you haven't got a sewing machine, you can get clip-on curtain hooks and you can even get adjustable curtain rails. So you could completely start again with an adjustable rail, some material, clip-on curtain hooks, iron-on tapes, bang, window dressing's She's done. She's unstoppable, this woman, yeah. isn't she, basically? She She's is full of not. Ideas. And if you go onto her Instagram feed and see pictures of her home you'll see that um, she's not been held back by rented. I just want to read a little excerpt because it made me chuckle and give you an insight into the lovely tone of her writing. So she says, let's talk about the magnolia though. It was on every single wall, in every single room. And it had a nauseatingly yellowish shade to it that made me feel slightly ill. Lots of magnolia, I remember saying to the agent with a little frown, as if he didn't know. He just shrugged nonchalantly. He did know. And me bluntly stating the obvious had clearly annoyed him. Are we allowed to paint the walls? This was another question I couldn't help asking. You have to understand, I was new to house hunting. Yes, he replied, looking me straight in the eyes. Magnolia. (laughs) (laughs) Anybody who's rented Mm. will really understand. So that's a great one. The last one is by Christina Strutt. And it's called Green Housekeeping. And Christina runs that very beautiful website called Cabbages and Roses. Yeah, the, the fashion and textiles brand, yes, isn't it? Yes, beautiful. Well, it is. It's it's that sort of material, isn't it? Covered in faded mm, cabbage no, roses. She's it's got a really beautiful. lovely sort of vintage feeling brand. But her, uh, this book, uh, Green Housekeeping, Recipes and Solutions for a Cleaner, More Sustainable Home. I thought this was a really nice book because I've sort of seen eco housekeeping cleaning books in the past. And I've slightly yawned at the little quaint lavender bags and handmade soaps and just thought oh god really like seriously who's got time for that this is a real deep dive I mean I feel like Christina Strutt is like the Mary Berry of housekeeping this is lots of really hard fast old-fashioned well kind of tried and tested advice and she has a real kind of like no nonsense approach I mean she's not doing fluffy things because she's got nothing better to do with her time this is a woman who deeply cares about her family her grandchildren the planet and she's put all of her resources so you've got everything from alternatives to cleaning products and chemicals that was the the chapter I really enjoyed actually I mean I always have white vinegar in the house and I do use it to clean the dishwasher and the washing machine I put them on a hot cycle but she had extra tips also I've heard about using bicarbonate of soda and and baking soda and lemon juice and all that but it's good I can never remember which one am I using for which and what are the quantities so that's all written down here but for example the one tip I didn't know which I was going to start doing doing tomorrow when I do my next load to reduce the amount of detergent powder washing powder used for each laundry load and make it more effective substitute baking soda for half the normal dose of washing machine powder oh genius far fewer chemicals and it works even better Brilliant. I thought that was so clever we need to bulk buy bicarbonate of soda. Yes. I mean, my mum, my mum's just, I suppose, of that generation. She uses, she's always used all this stuff, and she buys it in bulk on Amazon. Massive vats of white vinegar, and I've always used it, it to affordable. clean the windows with yeah, old newspapers. She says it's the best. Although we never have newspapers anymore. Yeah, she but. says it's the best thing. So there's loads of those sort of, you know, cleaning things that you expect. But there's also a great directory. Like she talks a lot about under the umbrella of housekeeping. You know, our kind of utility bills. And did you know, like Good Energy, for example, we've switched to Good Energy this year. They are Britain's only energy provider that's 100% renewable energy. So oh, she that's talk, you know, just to, just so to get really you thinking about well. water and fuel and kind of all elements of being sustainable in the home, not just 
cleaning. But also there's beauty. I'm just flicking through it here. And, um, you know, to add a shine to dark hair, use rosemary tea will leave your dark hair shiny and glossy. Or um, malt vinegar as a hair tonic. It covers everything. It's great. And she talks a lot about sort of allotment growing, growing your own vegetables and herbs. And then there's a little section on medicinal herbs. So I find this book really comprehensive. That's why I like it. It's even though, you know, there's beautiful mouthwatering photography in here. It's not just light and fluffy. There's some really good... It's a really good book. And that's Seco Books, $14.99. Yeah, buy it. So that brings us on nicely to our next topic, which is to have an update on uh, the sustainability conversation that we had in episode one of this series and find out where you're at with your Do Less Harm directory that I know you launched back in June. So this was, well, you tell us what it's about. It's your project. Well, it was about trying to make a list of companies that are trying or that are reducing their impact on the planet by and also trying to decode sustainable. I was about to say working in a sustainable fashion, but who are using recycled materials or who don't use plastic in their packaging or who will dispose of your old mattress in a responsible way and not just take it away and dump it in landfill? Because I think we don't know that about companies. As I said back in the first episode, we're not going to stop either buying or renting houses and buying or renting stuff to put in them. So it's about trying to find out which companies can have our money who are trying to do less harm. And I said very specifically that it's not about shouting at people who aren't doing it well, because I think a lot of companies don't want to talk about what they're doing because they just get shouted at for not doing enough. Mm. So it's about saying, this is something that this company is doing that we will single out, and this is a good place. You can decide if you want to buy from them because they do X, Y, and Z. So I wrote a blog post back in June launching the idea. And then on the 30th of July, I launched the directory in as far as I've got with it. And you can find that on madaboutthehouse.com. You mad can about find the house. that on com under the Do Less Harm. So it's a directory. Obviously, it's not complete. One would hope almost that it will never be complete. But I started off, I've approached lots of high street stores and asked them what they're doing. So I've spoken to Zara and they are doing lots of things. And Zara is a huge company that owns Massimo Dutti and various other companies and Pull and Bear. Um, I've spoken to Dulux. I've spoken to lots of paint companies because someone got in touch with me and said she wanted some vegan paint. And actually... An awful lot of paint is vegan. I think distemper isn't, but most paints are vegan. But talking then about whether you can recycle the cans and, you know, do they have solar panels on the roof? Um, I've had lots of comments and lots of emails. So email me on kate at madaboutthehouse.com or there is a contact form on the directory. And what I plan to do is update it, I'm guessing once a month, to just keep adding more and more companies in. So roughly at the moment... You can buy paint, you could buy flooring, you can buy carpet underlay, rugs, uh, lots and lots of bedding companies and mattresses are on there at the moment, radiators and some kitchens. So I've got some of the big stuff on there, some of the high street stores. I'm waiting for people come to come back to me. I started and how, this have in they August. been coming back to you, the companies, or are they a bit reticent, like you say, to... Some of them have been coming back with pages of information and one company came back to me and said, um, 
oh, yeah, we're going to be launching some cushions made out of recycled denim. Uh, do you want a picture? And I was like, no, that's not what I want at all. I want mm. to know about your philosophy of what you are doing. And they didn't quite get it. And I think what happens and what I have to hope for is that once companies see that other people are piling in and getting involved, then they start to look weird if they're not in it. So and some recycled denim cushions are going to cut, cut it. Because do you think um, some companies are still doing a bit of tokenism, like a bit of PR kind of... I'm sure they are. And I am not an expert to dig into that or to know. So the other thing I've included on the directory is a list of organisations. So there's a vegan interior designer who knows a lot of stuff. I've included websites and magazines. So like other resources where people can find more stuff. Other resources where you might find more of an expert. So what I'm trying to do is almost just be the umbrella and collate everything together. So the idea would be you've got whatever you've got, £1,500, you want to buy a new sofa, and you can find 10 sofas in that price bracket, but you might look around and say, well, actually, I'm going to go to that company because I really like the way they're doing it. I don't like what they're doing. So you can choose where you give your money. It's not about having expensive high-end stuff made out of recycled plastic bottles. It's about deciding which company works for you and hoping that we can all get to a point where we are able to make those choices because we're informed Mm. about what the right choice to make is. And, you know, I'm really, I don't sort of often beg for things, but I really want people to share this and publicise it and talk about it because the more people get involved with it, the bigger it It will will become, and the more information we will have at our fingertips. And hopefully the more pressure we can start putting on businesses to realise that this is what consumers want. Well, exactly that. I think once people companies see that people do care and they are shopping in this place, not that place, because of the choices that and, and the services that are being offered, then it becomes only sensible to kind of opt in and give people what they want. And and I know that really big change has to come from government and sort of from the top down, but actually it has to come from the bottom up as well yeah. to force the people at the top to see that's what we want to make the changes. So we've all got to do it, do it. and get involved. Yes, because um, it's, it's undoubtedly frustrating. I feel frustrated that government and the big chains, the big supermarkets, mm. the big manufacturers aren't doing more. I mean, hilariously, so we're on a massive plastic-free drive at the moment, as I think I touched on in the first episode, which has really ranked up a pace. And it's interestingly, when you get tuned into something, like how dreadful it is that there's all this one-use plastic that we just ravage on Mm. a daily basis, you know, you start becoming really conscious of it. And I bulk bought some recycled Luron, I've always bought recycled Luron. I've done it for ages. And then my husband pointed out that it comes in plastic wrapping, which isn't recyclable. So he says, I want you to use this brand that comes in recyclable packaging. And I thought, well, I'm going to bulk buy it. So Mm. I bought it on Amazon in a big bulk and it came in a massive plastic bag. Are you kidding? (laughs) I'm not kidding. So you sort of, uh, I'm trying. That's why I've deliberately called it do less harm. Because obviously in an ideal world, we want to do no harm. But... It's really yeah, difficult it's really and you've hard. made a really good decision and choice, you'd think, by buying that loo paper and then it's gone wrong because it's come in plastic. And so, you know, it, it's difficult to do no harm and it has to be done step by step to do less harm. But I, I do think 
that we've not had that, but maybe we haven't looked for that information, but we also, it hasn't been easy to access that information. And there are a lot of companies which just say, oh, we're being really sustainable. Well, what does that mean? What are you actually doing? Mm. So it's hopefully by putting this directory together and perhaps interrogating people a little bit more on these companies to say, okay, so you're doing this. Might you do that? Why aren't you doing that? Oh, but I'll take that because that's good. So that's the choice I'll make there. And it's also just doing what you can do yourself. So for example, I remember when my husband sort of took this on, feeling quite stressed that this Mm. was another thing that I had to worry about. And I've always done my supermarket shop home delivery. You know, where we live, I'm, I'm... 15 minute drive away from a supermarket. So I just like to get my groceries delivered. Mm. Anyway, we're not doing that anymore because of all the plastic that all the food arrives in. But what's been quite nice is because my husband drives into the city every day, he now has to do the shopping. (laughs) And he's taking that on for the first time in our marriage, which is you know, so there's lots of ups. Yeah. But he's going back to the greengrocers that we used to go to when we lived in our flat in Brighton. And we did a day together. We went into Brighton and we went to that greengrocers. And then there's also another shop. There's a few in Brighton that have opened up called Store, which is a refillable store. Oh, so yeah, you take brilliant. your own containers and your own bags mm. and you fill up with your cornflakes and your grains and your coffee and your olive oil or whatever, but you're not taking, they don't do the packaging. You bring yeah. your own packaging. Anyway, we're at our greengrocers, you know, salt of the earth guy, been in Brighton all his life, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, oh, this is great. All this plastic free in my business is really picking up. Oh, brilliant. He says, because people are doing... What yes. we're doing and yes. not going to the supermarkets for their fruit and veg, going to the greengrocers with their own bags or using pa- the paper bags that the greengrocer supplies. And I just thought that was double heartwarming for me in a way because it's maybe returning us back to some of we've our local... We've started doing that. I mean, we're very lucky because we've got great greengrocers and we've got a fishmonger and a butcher and, you know, I'm yet to find the candlestick maker, but I'm sure they're there. <laughs> um, but yes, that idea of, of, again, that comes back to the shopping local and taking your bags and all that kind of thing. So, you know, that's what I'm doing with the directory. And, you know, please share it as much as you can so that it gains more momentum. You can reach me on kate at madaboutthehouse.com, also via Instagram in my DMs. And obviously we want to know your thoughts on the show as well. So come and chat on Instagram where I'm Mad About The House and she's Sophie Robinson Interiors. And don't forget our new Facebook group as well, Well The Great Indoors Podcast on Facebook. So I thought a really interesting thing to discuss and debate would be to have a conversation about maximalism because it's been banded around quite a lot as being very on trend. But I thought let's just have an exploration of what maximalism, can't even see it, maximalism is and then also it's the counter argument, minimalism, two very extreme design disciplines. I think it's like many of those things, the term gets thrown up, you know, Mm. suddenly uh, maximalism is the new trend. So we've all got to go and plaster all our walls in wallpaper and have lots of floral cushions. It's all very Sophie. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I am a maximalist. And it's interesting because it's suddenly that's the new trend. Right. But actually, I think maximalism in its true sense is a bit more complicated than that. And the flip side to that argument is, are we looking in a more maximalist direction at the moment as a counterbalance to all those years of sort of grey, Scandi-dominated design, which, while not pure minimalism, has a more 
minimalistic feel. It's very pared back with clean lines, not too much colour, very little pattern. So on the one hand, I think there's this, that sort of trend really pendulum. A, okay, swinging towards the maximalism. Swinging the back towards the maximalism. But neither of those two things, and I've got to stop, keep repeating the word because it's very hard to say. <laughs> um, but so I have never been particularly, I quite like mid-century modern, but it, I don't have it in my house. I don't feel it fits in my house. And yet I look at pictures of rooms which are clean and minimal and I think, oh, I love that. I, I want to live like that. I want to paint everything. So you've got an inner minimalist. I've got an inner minimalist. Do you think we've all got an inner minimalist? Well, I don't know. I think it might make you feel quite stressed. I like the yeah, idea of it, but I, I know I would fill it with stuff. Oh, what? So if we gave you the ultimate minimalist pad? Oh, I would fill it. it. I'd put books here and flowers <laughs> and rugs and, and bring in pattern. I know I would. So do you think this, you know, on one level it's a trend, but on another level it's a personality trait? I You've think it's pick, a lifestyle. Yeah, well, I think it's a lifestyle. I think you either are a minimalist and you want, in order to function, you want things calm and pared back and no clutter, mm -hmm. or you find looking at colour and pattern and lots of stuff stimulating to your brain and that's how you work. But I don't think it's just as simple as not having very much stuff and having too much stuff. Having a lot no, of stuff. No, I mean, I think, you know, obviously uh, the maximalist in terms of a decorating trend is a more on more, a very layered on look. And it can, you know, obviously it's quite excessive, but it's not just about clutter and stuff. You're right. That Clutter and stuff doesn't make for a stylish pad. It's actually pad. quite difficult to get right to do it properly. No, and it needs maximum commitment to be, yeah. tr you know, to move on from just being cluttered and like a batty old antique shop or whatever. Exactly. To becoming something that looks really stylish and aspirational. There is definitely an art to it. And Luke and Edward Hall is very good at it, that young designer. Yeah, Matthew designer. Williamson does good yes. uh, maximum It's interiors. about how you layer patterns and colours it, but it's, it's very difficult. It. It's going yeah. for it, isn't it? And then when you think, is that enough? Then going, no, we yeah. need more. I'm now going to throw in a leopard print rug and we need another wall sconce. And actually that chandelier needs to be 10 times bigger. You and see, I'm, I'm not a maximalist in those terms and neither am I a minimalist. I suspect most of us are somewhere in the middle. I suspect a lot of us think we're a bit more maximalist because we've got slightly too much stuff and wish we were a bit tidier <laughs> and therefore wish we were a bit more minimalist. But I think it goes much deeper than that surface. I think, it, I, as I say, I think it's a lifestyle personality choice. I think it's, yeah, it is. And it, it, there's a flamboyance to it. There's a grandeur. I mean, I think of like stately homes. Yes, and it's a sort of English Park country home, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit of swags and tails and Steady. <laughs> kind of swinging from the chandeliers. You've got to kind of almost have that spirit within you, I think. And to be making a statement that's very, very, very bold. And like I said, it is a big commitment. There's no feature walls in a maximalist interior. No, it's, it's all, all the walls, walls and, the and the ceiling. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So as I say, we're seeing a big trend towards that. And I know a lot of people get stuck on how to create a maximalist mm. interior. You know, if you're going to mix pattern and colour, how do you do that? How many patterns, how many colours? And I think, again, it's probably quite a difficult look to give a recipe for. You well, can't... I think there is an instinct and I would be tempted to say that if you can't instinctively mix those patterns and those shapes and those colours in that way, then it's probably not the natural thing for you to be doing. Okay. I th because I think... Do you think it has to be very instinctive? Though? I think when you're doing it to the proper full sense of the maximalist 
then yes, I do think it's instinctive. I think it's possible to mix, you know, tonal floral cushions, a plain cushion, a black and white striped cushion and a floral one in the same tones and for that to look very nice. And I would be, say that I am stuck somewhere around that level. I might have rich materials, you know, corduroy and velvet and linen and cashmere and a bit of pattern, but I would probably have that against plain walls. You know, I wouldn't layer it up with more and more and more. And I think it's very difficult to do naturally. So I tell you who I think does do it in a very modern way is Tanya from Quirk and Rescue. Oh and my her gosh, house she's is a location massive, house. Massive but exposition. it's not that's maximalism not in the English country house sense. So it's not swags and tags and and lots of florals. It's neon, but it's neon stripes in one direction and neon stripes in a different direction. But she's mixing lots of lots of pattern and and lots of colour. I think modern tips would be to to have quite a tight colour palette and Kirk and Rescue have quite a tight colour palette. So it's not all the colours all at once. You have to find a family of colours that go and then you can use as many as you like. And mm. I think that then links the patterns together. I think if you're using a metallic, maybe try and stick to one metallic. So if gold's your metallic, but don't even, go even we would talk about you being a maximalist in terms of colour, but I look at your sitting room. That's only because I haven't got round to but it. But your Kate. walls are pale pink and your ceiling is white. If you were a true maximalist, you would have wallpapered all those oh, walls coming. in something floral it's and coming. painted I just the have ceiling. To drip. Oh, I just is have it? to drip feed. Oh, him. okay. So we're getting there. <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. getting there. Yeah, no, my living room does not spark joy for me because it isn't. It's not. And it's difficult because I, I have got a partner who's not a maximist and he yeah. needs to live there too. So, you know, there there can be lots of um, compromises. It's cyclical, isn't it? And it'll swing back the other way. Do you think, are we all going to go minimal again soon? I think it possibly could swing the other way. And the reason why I say this is I think, again, it, it's what per- type of person you are. And I just think we're in really like polar times people are having really extreme opinions and all kinds of things at the moment so if on one hand in design and architecture you've got this very extreme aesthetic then it's met with something just as extreme and the reason why I say that is for example I just was watching YouTube the other day (laughs) and Kim Kardashian did the 73 Vogue questions. Oh, yeah. Presumably really? she's got a massively bling house. So she's got an enormous house in LA, 50 million pounds. pounds. Yeah, actually, yeah. Wouldn't buy, you, wouldn't buy you yes. much in London, would it, that? But anyway, <laughs> and there's some, also as well, if you Google it, there's some great before and afters, what it looked like before, which was your kind of archetypical LA mansion, very yeah. swags and taily and quite bling, which kind of you'd expect from those guys. Totally as, you know, one of the richest couples in America. But no, it's like, it's like a morgue. Really? It's basically the whole thing's cream. It's not even tonal. Is it magnolia? It is one shade of kind of plaster cream. And the floors, walls, ceilings have all been licked out in this same shiny plaster. The floor and the, so it's like being in the, like a not very padded cell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it just feels very stark, quite monastic, although I'm sure it cost absolutely billions to do. But there's no art on the walls, there's absolutely zero colour, and the rooms are cavernous, they're enormous. And normally what you see with those sort of millionaire mansions is they just fill them with like yeah, there's yeah. six sofas and there's four coffee tables and then there's console tables with a pair of lamps and then like a giant orchid display. There's, there's nothing. Like, so there's, there's no like, personality in In their there. master bedroom there's like a bed. And then like empty 
But they must have a sub-mansion somewhere else where all the kids' toys are and all the plastic tatties. <laughs> well, I think that's the, that's the thing with minimalism. So as we've discussed, maximalism is very extreme. So is minimalism. And, and actually, as I said, I call it monastic, but it's, it's a very expensive look to get because if you're having less, what you do have has to be really beautiful. Yeah. And probably... There's nowhere to hide, is there, with no, minimalism? No, and, and I'm assuming there's a lot of hidden storage in that house. There's a lot of handless push yeah. cabinets where... You'd spend all, all day, wouldn't you, looking for the tea bags, <laughs> pushing the wall, trying to find where the cupboards but are. But I find it really interesting that, you know, two of the most blingy, wealthy entertainment moguls in America have got this very, very minimal, stripped-back aesthetic. It's almost like when you've got so much money to have absolutely everything, you decide you have to have nothing. a house with absolutely nothing. It is really interesting. Just to create it? that probably mental quiet that you need Well, this all the is it. This is what I was saying. This is why it's about that lifestyle, isn't it? And I think while we probably all fit more into a maximalist end of the spectrum because minimalism's really difficult. As you say, it's expensive. It's, really it's not having much. And you've got to be disciplined. There's no getting up to answer the door and leaving your tea on the table. You know, <laughs> you, the you put it all away all the time. leave your holiday paperback on the bedside table. It completely kills it off. That's no good for you. <laughs> Won't work for me. <laughs> So, uh, time for a design crime cake. Can we squeeze one in at the end of the show? Squeeze in a quickie, which I think we're all going to agree with, actually. And this is from Jill for Pizza on Instagram. And I think this is probably a fairly easy one that we will all agree with for once. The small dead space between the top of a kitchen cabinet and the ceiling that collects dust and grease. This space should be blocked off or more storage added. I'm absolutely with her on that. And I don't understand when people design kitchens, and it's very fashionable at the moment, isn't it, to have open shelves. But if you have wall cabinets, mm. they never go up to the top. There's always that gap. Why is that gap there? Because she says, it gives banging the light in all her enthusiasm. <laughs> because it just fills with crap. Her arms are doing cartwheels <laughs> right now. I disagree. I beg your pardon. <laughs> You're just saying that. I'm not just saying that. It's there for a reason. It what gives reason? a heightened sense of space in a room. If you block it in, it makes the ceiling come down. No, but if you take it all the way up to the top, your cupboards are longer. Therefore, it elevates your cupboards and makes your ceiling look higher. Because you go look you, at those If you can cupboards. get the extra storage in, it's a good idea, especially in small kitchens. And there's a way to design it that they wrap around. But sometimes... In an average size house, by going all the way up to the ceiling, messes with the proportion of the I, room. Don't agree with you. <laughs> so what are you putting in your dusty, greasy, well, grimy I don't, I don't gap? Like, I don't like those wall cabinets. So funnily enough, in my pantry, my cupboards do go up to the ceiling because I've got particularly low ceilings, so that's fine. But I think if you've got a really tall ceiling, it would look ridiculous if you're in a tall, tall ceiling property. So I just get rid of them and have open shelves and then really stress yourself out with all the dust. You clean them. <laughs> But they do, you do see in a lot of kitchens where they have those cabinets, there's a gap. It's about 30 centimetres, mm. isn't it? And people think, oh, I'll put the biscuit tin up there. I'll put yeah, the vases up crime. there. That's a design There you crime. go. Yeah. They fill it with crap. Yeah, or It gets really dusty. They or have to get on a stool to use. get it down. Yes. So they never get it down. And when they do get it down, it's absolutely filthy. So, I'd say, so leave it empty then. Yes, the, I'd say that the gap itself isn't the design crime. It is the detritus that people put up there. That is the real crime. Okay, fair enough. The gap is not the design crime. The crap you put on it is the design <laughs> crime. And on that note, let's go to a summary of what we've talked about today. And we've talked about some new books. 
So first up, The Little Book of Colour by Karen Haller, a really good little encyclopedia into the psychology of colour, how to find the right colours and the meaning of colours. I love that. Then we come to Home Sweet Rented Home by Medina Grillo, also brilliant for anyone who's renting and wants to know what they can do or ideas for storage, is DIY, there's illustrations, there's lots and lots of tips. That's a great book. And finally, Christina Strutt on green housekeeping, recipes and solutions for a cleaner, more sustainable home. Brilliant book, beautifully photographed. After that, we talked about my Do Less Harm directory. So just say, please, please get in touch with information about companies that are reducing their impact on the planet so I can include them in the directory. Email me via the blog, madaboutthehouse.com, and please share and spread the word of this directory. Let's try and influence companies and turn it into something really big. And finally, maximalism versus minimalism. I think in short... It's a lifestyle, not just a look. And don't forget our blogs where you'll find all that we've talked about today with pictures and links and more. Mine is sophierobinson.co.uk and hers is madaboutthehouse.com. We've also got our Facebook group, The Great Indoors Podcast. And don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the show because it really helps people find us. And because knowing you lovely lot are listening really helps keep us going when the going gets tough and the overwhelm threatens to, well, you know, overwhelm. (laughs) And thanks so much to Tops Tiles for sponsoring this podcast, to Kate Taylor, who is our producer, and of course to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors.